Well, good morning. Uh, this is a family service. Kids, find your seat, find your clipboard, find your snacks. One of the things we do here at Fellowship is uh, we are not in charge of discipling your children. You are. And so as a church and our fellowship kids and our kids program, which by the way, at the end of the service today, you're going to love our children's volunteers a lot more than you have in the past. When you realize what it would be like if it was not for those folks who are out there. Uh, but what we do as a church is we want to partner alongside of you to disciple your children. And I can't think of any better way than to invite your kids in with us in a worship service. One of the things that we learn about children is that they make a choice when they get to middle school and to high school whether they want to participate in church. And if we have them playing games and hearing Bible stories and being treated like kids, when it's time for them to make their way into the adult service, this is huge to them. And they have a trouble wrapping their head around what's going on in here and the seriousness of sin and repentance and all the things that we teach in here. And so we want to make sure that they get a full sense and a full picture of what happens in the big, scary room. And so that's what we're going to do today. It is a family service. Kids, if you've got your clipboards, you will see periodically today, there will be a slide with that pencil. Do you see that pencil on the screen? You do see that pencil? When you see that pencil on the screen, that means that you need to write this down on your piece of paper. And afterwards, you're going to take your clipboard out to Christy, and you're going to show her the clipboard, and she's got a surprise for you to take home. Also, by the way, kids, depending on how well this goes, we've got over 3,000 Easter eggs. I don't know if it's 3,000. It's a lot of Easter eggs hiding in the field, and we're going to need your help finding them after the service as well. So stay with me, all right? And parents, I'm going to do my best to keep their attention and to move quickly through this. So we are having family service. The other thing is, if you're a guest with us this morning, this is not normal. And uh, we do have a children's ministry. We've got an incredible children's ministry. Uh, but periodically, we want to come alongside of parents and discipling their children. We're in the midst of a series called Scandalous Grace. And last week and the week before, JC and Brad defined scandalous this way, causing general public outrage by a perceived offense against morality or law. When you hear the idea of grace, we always think of this sweet, comfortable, loving. This is, this is what we talk about in church, right? We talk about grace and how we come alongside of people who need to be cared for. But the truth is, is that the grace that Jesus displayed on the cross is scandalous. It's defined this way because we look and we say, that doesn't make any sense to me. That's not fair. Why would you extend grace to someone like that? And so the word scandalous, we are using to say, this is what we talk about when we talk about the cross. When we look at the cross and we say, what Jesus did on that cross for you and for me and for the woman who had the, the illness and she was bleeding, and for the woman who was about to get stoned because she was caught in adultery, all of those things don't make sense to us. Why would Jesus extend grace to them? And that's why we use the term scandalous. This morning, we're going to talk about another character that we look and say, Jesus, what are you doing? Before we do that, let's pray. God. We thank you for this morning. I am so grateful for the children that you've brought into our family. Lord, what an incredible opportunity to listen to these young kids worship you on this stage. 
God, that you would come alongside of us as parents and that you would protect us and guide us, that we could raise children that would love you. And God, as a church, I pray that we can together raise all of these children, that they can represent Christ so well here in Harden Valley and Oak Ridge and Knoxville. God, we're going to ask this morning that you help us to keep our attention on your word. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I love competition. If any of you know that about me, everything in my life is a competition. As a matter of fact, we have a motto in our household that goes like this. It's not a competition. And then when nobody's looking, we say, yes, it is. So like at night, right? It's, uh, kids, it's time to brush your teeth. Let's see who can get their teeth brushed fasted, right? So Mia's like elbowing Micah in the jaw and they're fighting their way up. And of course their teeth don't get cleaned because they're hurrying, right? Or it's time to clean our bedrooms. Let's see whose bedroom is the cleanest. I love competition. I love the Olympics. I love March Madness, except for this year. I love everything about any kind of competition you can have. I love weird competition. Like, have you ever seen this before in the Olympics? It's called curling, right? You take the head of a snork and you slide it down the ice and then other people with brooms, like, clean the ice off so that you can get that disc to land where you want it. I have to watch it because it's competition. I love this one. This is the biathlon. This is where you ski and then you stop skiing and then you shoot and then you stop shooting and then you ski again. It sounds amazing. I would like to see downhill biathlon, right? Like you got to shoot while you're going, two at a time. Like that's a competition. But I've always been intrigued by this one, sumo wrestling. Sumo wrestling, we hear a lot about it. We don't know much about this, right? But sumo wrestling is a unique competition. And I'm going to try to describe the rules to you to sumo wrestling because most of you probably don't know it. The rules to sumo wrestling are this. Push your opponent out of the circle. That's it. You can throw them to the ground or push them down. But for the most part, these 500 plus pound men get in a circle with each other and they push. Like we've been teaching our children from day one, stop pushing. But in sumo wrestling, you're allowed to. It's a unique competition. The whole point of the competition is to push your opponent out of the circle. You know, I think about that in our world today. Don't we spend a lot of our time today pushing people out of our circle? Don't we constantly have this competitive nature about pushing people out of the circle? As a matter of fact, we spend much of our lives pushing people out of our circle to protect ourselves. Let me, let me say it to you this way. Kids, you know that bully on the playground, right? Big Johnny. He stands in the corner of the playground and he pulls girls' hair. Maybe he spits at kids when they come around, right? Maybe he's not paying attention to the teacher when he's supposed to. And you come home in the evening and you run to your mom and your dad or your grandma, whoever's there, and you say, Big Johnny is a bully and he's picking on people on the playground. And what do your parents say? Stay away from him. Stay far away from him. Right? What are they saying? They're saying, keep him out of your circle. Why? Because mom and dad don't want you to be negatively influenced by Big Johnny. Right? They don't want that. They say, keep him out of the circle. Adults, we do the same thing. Right? We're in the office. We get there on Monday morning. We sit down at our computer and we hear two desks up, some guy talking about his weekend. And you're like, oh, 
Listen to the life that he's leading. He, he's bragging about stories about how he had to lie to his wife or how he did something that was so fun. But you know, in the bottom of your heart, what this guy's doing is not the way that he should be living his life, right? We're constantly evaluating people. We're looking at people around us and we're deciding who can I let into the circle and who do I need to push out of the circle, right? Uh, we, we're constantly making this, this uh, decision. Will this person influence me in a positive way? or in a negative way? Do I need to push them out of my circle? Now, when we say that, we immediately think, isn't that negative? But it's not negative, right? Uh, Solomon in Proverbs says this, a wise man walks with the wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm, right? The, the proverb is saying this, you need to be careful who you let into your circle. You need to be careful who you let in. You need to watch out for traitors and cheats and liars and people that can negatively affect you. And so we're constantly protecting ourselves by pushing these people out of the circle. Well, this morning, we're going to talk about a character. We're going to talk about a man who's been pushed out of the circle. We're going to talk about a man who was a liar, who was a cheat, who robbed people, who was a bad influence, and most of all, he was a traitor. And his name was Zacchaeus. If you've got your Bibles, turn your Bible open to Luke chapter 19. His name was Zacchaeus. You may have heard the story. Parents, please don't be humming the song in your head, okay? Because the thing when we talk about Zacchaeus, if I said, okay, tell me about Zacchaeus, the first thing he'd say is he's a wee little man. Don't do that, right? Yes, he was short, but that's not why he got pushed out of the circle. So we find ourselves in Luke chapter 19. Let's break right into it. He entered Jericho and was passing through. He is Jesus. Jesus is making his way to Jerusalem. Now, I know this is Palm Sunday, so you're waiting for the palm branches and the donkeys, but we're not going to get there today because before that took place, we find Jesus walking through Jericho. And he's making his way through this pretty big hub for trade. And after he goes through Jericho, he's got to make that windy road out to Jerusalem. It's a popular road. Most of us know it because that's the road where the Good Samaritan story took place. But before Jesus can make that last trip along that road into Jerusalem, he comes to the town of Jericho. And like we talked about a couple of weeks ago, when Jesus shows up at this moment, it is chaos. People want to see Jesus. People want to be around Jesus. And so he's passing through Jericho. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. Jesus is making his way along the road through Jericho. And there's a man who's been pushed out of the circle. His name is Zacchaeus. Now, Zacchaeus had a really important job. He was a tax collector, but he wasn't just a normal tax collector. He was the manager of the tax collectors. And you see, this wasn't a job that people held and other people liked. It, it worked this way. Zacchaeus would come to your door and he would collect money for Rome. Now, you didn't like Rome because Rome took over you, but this man who was just like you came to your door, knocked on your door and said, hey, you got to pay me your taxes. What? Again? Yep. How much do I owe this time? $200. $200. 
So you go back to your piggy bank and you get out your $200 and you bring it back and you give it to Zacchaeus and he's got this face like, <laughs> but then he goes like this. What? I paid you. That's the money for Rome, but this is my livelihood. You need to bring some money to me too. What? It's not just the tax for Rome. You got to pay a little extra for me. How much do I owe you? $50. $50. Well, we could tell Rome you're not paying your taxes. So you go back to your piggy bank and you bring him 50 bucks. And he had this big grin on his face. He'd stick the money in his pocket and he'd go to your neighbor. And he'd go to his neighbor. And he'd go to his neighbor. And constantly, the tax collectors were figuring out ways how to get more money. They were incredibly wealthy. And because Jericho was such a trade route, he would wait for people to make business interactions and transactions, and he would step in there too. And he would charge them taxes. And so you can imagine, Zacchaeus is not only just a trader, but he's a liar, and he's a cheat. And on top of all that, he's in charge of all the other liars and cheats and traitors. And the people in these days stayed away from him. If you were a child and you saw a tax collector coming, your mom would say, stay away from him. Push him out of your circle. Well, this day, Jesus is walking into Jericho, and there's something that's stirring inside of Zacchaeus. He is wealthy. He is powerful. He doesn't have a ton of friends, but something is not clicking for him. He's missing something in his life, and he hears that Jesus is on his way. And so he runs up to the street where the crowd is. He's trying to get a picture. He's trying to get a glimpse of who Jesus is. Now, don't picture Oak Ridge Christmas Parade, okay? Because you can eventually make your way to the sidewalk. Picture UT just won the championship, and you're trying to get down to Neyland Stadium. This is a mob scene, and Zacchaeus is doing everything he can to see Jesus, and he can't because he's short, and so here's this man who's been pushed out of the circle, who no one likes. Everybody stays away, trying to get a glimpse of Jesus. So he comes up with a plan. Verse 4, so he ran on ahead, and he climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house. What? Wait a minute. So Zacchaeus wants to get a glimpse of Jesus. He sees up ahead there's a tree. So he makes his way to the tree. He climbs up at the tree. He shimmies himself out. And now he's hanging over the road. And Jesus comes along that way and looks up to Zacchaeus. And he says, Zacchaeus, hurry up. Come down. Can you imagine what the people are thinking in this moment? Like, Jesus, hold on. Do you know who that guy is? You, you do not want to let him in your circle, Jesus. You got to keep this guy at a distance. You cannot trust him. Do you know, do you know what he's doing? So Jesus picked Zacchaeus, and when he picked Zacchaeus, the crowd was mad, and the disciples were confused. The crowd couldn't get it. Wait a minute. You want to pick Zacchaeus? Do you know who that guy is? That guy was just cheating people. You can't let that guy, and you want him to come down from the tree, and you want to go back to his house? And the crowd grumbled. But not only did the crowd grumble, but the disciples were confused. 
And here's why the disciples were confused. Back in Matthew, when Jesus told the disciples to go town by town, telling the good news of the kingdom of heaven, he always said this, whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay until you depart. The disciples were thinking, wait a minute, Jesus, you've made it clear to us. When we go town to town, we're supposed to find somebody worthy in this town. Are you sure he's worthy? Are you sure he's the one you want to go home and have lunch with? Everybody's confused. Why, Jesus, would you pick Zacchaeus? Now, it's interesting when you look at this passage because something very special takes place in this passage that almost never takes place in the Gospels. And it's something that Jesus says to Zacchaeus. Look what he said to him. He said, Zacchaeus, hurry. Hurry. Hurry out of the tree. Now, when we think of Jesus, we never picture Jesus running. Right? We never picture Jesus hurrying. Think about the story we talked about two weeks ago, right? Jairus' daughter is dying, and he comes to Jesus and says, please save my daughter. And like if you and I were called to save somebody's daughter, we'd hop on the back of a horse, and we would sprint to save her. But Jesus makes his way. As a matter of fact, while he's making his way, the woman touches his robe, and he takes time to stop for the woman. Think about the encounter between Mary and Martha, right? Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet while Martha is running around trying to get the house ready. You guys know how that feels? And finally, Martha's like, Jesus, would you tell her to get up and do something? And what does he say? Hey, Martha, Mary's sitting with me right now. We see Jesus always intentional in the way he lives his life, but always takes time to pause for people. As a matter of fact, the only other time we see that language, hurry, used in the Gospels is when the shepherds were hurrying to go see Jesus when he was born in the manger. Why is it that the very Jesus that we call our king, that the very Jesus that we say we want to make our lives look like, took time to slow down and stop for people, yet our lives are completely out of control? I know this. I've showed you my calendar. We need to be a church that looks different. And the way that we're a church that looks different is we need to be willing to slow down to listen to people around us. But notice what Jesus said to Zacchaeus. He was talking to Zacchaeus and something different was happening. He said, Zacchaeus, hurry. Come out of the tree. We're going home to your house. And so what did Zacchaeus do? If Jesus tells you to hurry, you better hurry. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, the people, they all grumbled. He's gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Zacchaeus jumps out of his tree he comes down from the tree and he runs with, to Jesus and Jesus goes back to his home and everybody around him is like, why would you pick that creep? Why would you pick that cheat, that lie? Why would you pick him, Jesus? But look what Zacchaeus did. He came down joyfully. He came down joyfully. Something's already working and stirring in Zacchaeus' heart. 
Something's already going on in his life. Maybe before this point even happened, Zacchaeus started to think about his lifestyle. Maybe Zacchaeus has already been wondering, is this the type of man that I am supposed to be? So the next thing you know, Jesus and Zacchaeus go back into the house. They're inside the home and there's some kind of closed door meeting between this traitor, this liar, this cheat, and Jesus. And so they're sitting in the house and something takes place. We don't know exactly what takes place, but at the end of this encounter, you can envision or you can picture Zacchaeus and Jesus having this conversation. And so Zacchaeus and Jesus come out and they say this, and Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor and I have defrauded anyone of anything. I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house since he is also the son of Abraham. You can picture Jesus coming out of the house with Zacchaeus, right? He's got like his arm around him. It might be more like this. And he comes out of the house, and, and all of a sudden, Zacchaeus begins to proclaim, look, have I cheated you? Have I cheated you out of money? Have I taken money from you? If I have, line up. I'll pay you fourfold. Kids, that means if he stole $100, he's giving him 400 back. Come on, line up. Have I cheated you? And then he says to Jesus, look, are you poor? Are you struggling to make your bills? Are you struggling to eat? Do you have a place? Line up. This is the same Zacchaeus that everybody pushed out of their circle. The same Zacchaeus that was a traitor is now standing there and saying, where are you? He, he's saying, if I've cheated anybody, I return it fourfold. I'm going to sell half of my stuff and give it to the poor so they can survive. Zacchaeus' encounter with Jesus changed his life. Something took place, whether it was before Jesus encountered him or in this moment in this house, something took place that transferred his life, transformed Zacchaeus' life from this is a man who is cheating people to this is a man who's giving it all away. There's a stage there of repentance. But what's amazing at the end of that verse is that Jesus says this, today salvation has come to this house since he is also the son of Abraham. Look, he's not saying salvation has come to Zacchaeus' house because Zacchaeus is a great, 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 great grandson of Abraham. It's true, but that's not what Jesus is saying. What Jesus is saying is what uh, Paul wrote commentary on in Romans 4, and he said this, that is why it depends on faith. In order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all the offspring, not only to the adherents of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Jesus is saying this, Zacchaeus' life has been transformed. Salvation has come to this house today because Zacchaeus made a proclamation, which is, I trust you, Jesus. I trust you. And, and not only do I trust you, but I'm going to show you my repentant heart by saying this, I'm going to make all the wrongs that I've done right. Not because Jesus said, this is what you have to do, but because when you have an encounter with Jesus, your life gets transformed. And then Jesus makes the most amazing statement about his mission on earth. And he says this, for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Think about that moment. 
Think about Zacchaeus standing there with all of those people grumbling and looking at him. Everybody in the crowd who has pushed Zacchaeus out of his circle, standing next to Jesus, the very one that everybody's been piling on top of to see. And then Jesus says this, I've come to seek and save the lost. You see, Jesus goes out of the circle to seek and save those who have been pushed out. Jesus goes out of the circle. All those people that we keep trying to protect ourselves from, all those people that we're watching to make sure they're not a good, bad influence on us, we push them out of the circle. And you know what Jesus does? He goes out there to find them. That's why we call this scandalous grace. Jesus, do you understand who this guy is? Do you know who these people are? That's why it's scandalous. It doesn't make any sense to us. Of all the people in the crowd that Jesus could have reached out to, and he picked the traitor who's a liar and a cheat. That's scandalous. It doesn't make any sense. And he tells us why. Because the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost You know, there's two kinds of people in this world. There's those who are lost, and there's those who Jesus saved. There's there's no in-between. Jesus describes his mission. I have come to seek and to save the lost. There's there's no in-between like, yeah, well, I'm not lost, Kyle, but I'm not not a follower of Jesus, but I'm doing my best to be good. No, no, no. There's, There's no middle ground here. Jesus makes it clear he's come to seek and save the lost. But Kyle, you don't understand. If you saw the kind of life that I led, if you saw the things that I've done, I I could guess. Because I've been there. Maybe you're one of the people that keeps getting pushed out of the circle because you're not a good influence on people around you. Jesus is coming out of the circle to find you. That's scandalous. That doesn't make sense to us. Jesus has come to seek and to save those who have been pushed out of the circle. It does not matter what you have done whether you are a liar or a cheat or a traitor, whether you have committed some atrocity in your life, whether your college days you can't even talk about, whether you're the type of person that said, I struggled to walk in this building because I'm sure the roof was going to collapse, whether you're the person who said, I've given up on church and on God, it doesn't matter. That's why it's scandalous because Jesus says, I'm coming. And if you're outside the circle this morning, Jesus says this to you, hurry, hurry. That's the kind of king I want to serve. That's the kind of God that I want to worship. I want to worship a God who sent his own son to die on that cross for those of us who don't deserve it. That's pretty awesome. And so how does this all connect with Palm Sunday? Well, amazingly, Jesus has one more encounter where he tells a parable to some people around him, and then he makes his way down that road. He gets the donkeys, and he makes his way into Jerusalem. And the people are lined up on the streets. And do you remember what they were saying in that moment? 
They were saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. You know what that means? It means save us. Save us. Save us. Jesus just explained that he has come to seek and save the lost, and they are lined up in the streets of Jerusalem saying, save us. That's why we call it scandalous. That's why we celebrate Palm Sunday. That's why we can stand here today and say, we get to serve a God who loved us so much that he'd send his own son. And all we need to do is, like Zacchaeus, is just hurry and come to Jesus with a repentant and a broken heart That's why we call it scandalous. Would you pray with me? God, that you sent your son to die on that cross for those of us that were lost. God, that you would send your son to go out of the circle for those of us that were lost. I am so grateful, Lord, that you sent your son to seek and save us. God, I pray in our own lives, in this church, in our communities, that we would be a people that represent you so well. God, it makes no sense to us what you were doing on that cross. It's scandalous, but we know that it's grace. God, that you would bring our hearts to worship you this morning, that you would save us, those of us who have been pushed out of the circle, those of us who have been running from you, God, that you would be a God that would seek and save us. We love you and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.